Welcome everyone to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan, ESPN, ESPN.com, Giants reporter. And we're turning the page now officially into the 2021 season because the Super Bowl's in the past. That 2020 campaign that's ultimately going to be defined by COVID-19 and the coronavirus and the limitations and the uh, just the changes that it brought about and the strange year that it was, that's in the past. And we're now officially moving forward. And right now, that means that we could start talking about the NFL draft. Draft season is officially in session. Okay, so the Giants, they have the 11th overall pick. What are we going to do in this episode? We're going to talk to the great, the legendary, the man, the myth, the legend, Mel Kuyper Jr. Because when we're talking about the NFL draft and the prospects, that's the man you go to first. So we got him right here. Granted, I apologize in advance. The audio might not be the best I've ever recorded. Uh, the, the way we had to record it was a little different. So let's try and make the best of it. Remember, it's the content it's, that's being provided that's most important. Not the, not the audio quality of the content. The quality, the overall quality of what's being said. And Mel Kuyper Jr., Knows these prospects way better than I do, way better than you do. He's been watching, studying these guys for really multiple years now. So there's some interesting things that he's going to talk about that I think will really apply to the Giants. Now, if you say to me right now, we're sitting here, what is it, uh, February 10th, I'm taping this. Who do you want the Giants to draft? Okay. I probably lean towards if the Giants can get One of the three big receivers. Now, it looks like at the top of this draft, there's Jamar Chase, who opted out and didn't play from LSU. Uh, Devontae Smith from Alabama. Obviously, Heisman Trophy, you know the story, dominant. And Jalen Waddell, also from Alabama. Got injured, banged up, but, you know, he was the better receiver (laughs) uh, coming into this year over Smith. So those three guys seem to have separated themselves from the field. We'll talk to Mel about that in a minute. And if one of them is there at 11, I would say that would be the guy that I want. Now, I don't think Chase is going to get there. Uh, I think Smith will probably go lower than most people. Uh, Receivers don't generally get drafted that high, especially guys that are, what, 5'9", 175, whatever he is, if he's even 175. So, but still, 11, it's probably a stretch. Waddle, maybe. Maybe he falls a little bit, but... You know, I don't know. So what do they do then? Well, that's why now Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay both have mock drafts out. Go look at them, ESPN, ESPN ESPN.com, ESPN+. Plus. They're out there. Both of them right now have Florida tight end Kyle Pitts to the Giants at number 11. Now, remember, these mock drafts are just a fun exercise. Um, they, They do all these studies on the players, and then they're just, especially at this point in the process, they're just kind of picking where it makes sense they get taken in that area, in that range, and to and then they, you know, to teams and they they put what's those teams' needs. And that's how they plug them into guys. This isn't like they're predicting or they know that people in the Giants want Kyle Pitts. First of all, it's too early in the process for anyone to say that definitively. Like anyone who tells you that, you just turn it off. You flip the switch off, you turn your, your phone off, you you delete them from your Instagram, from your Twitter, from your TikTok, whatever. Because they're BSing you, okay? Nobody knows at this point. The Giants don't know. 
Nobody knows. No, 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 nobody knows. We're not even close to that point yet. So they're just kind of putting players where it makes sense in the range that they're going to get drafted. So Pitts makes sense for the Giants. Look, they need weapons, whether it's tight end, right, whether it's wide receiver, uh, whether it's uh, edge rusher, whether it's cornerback, linebacker. They could still use another linebacker, playmaking linebacker. Look at look at the Bucks with two dynamite playmaking linebackers in Levante, David, and Devin White. Look how that turned out in the Super Bowl. So those are the Giants' major, major, major needs. So Pitts makes sense, right? Premium kind of position when we're talking about weapon. But here's why initially, now I haven't studied the guy that much. I watched some Florida games, and yeah, he looked dominant. Here's why I am very hesitant, okay? Let me list to you. Maybe I missed one or or so here, but I think I got them all. Since 2014, first-round tight ends, okay? Evan Ingram. Giants, obviously, that's one of them. O.J. Howard, Bucks. T.J. Hawkinson, Lions. Hayden Hurst, uh, Ravens. Falcons, sorry. Uh, David Njoku, Browns. Eric Ebron, Lions at the time. These are the first-round tight ends, okay? Now, I know. You're not blown away. And you shouldn't be because it's not overly impressive. And the reality is... This isn't a knock on anybody, but I don't think the NFL or anybody really covering it has found a way to accurately evaluate tight ends from the college game and then predicting where how they're going to be in the NFL. Like, nobody's good at it. They're just not. I mean, here's the top two tight ends, hands down, far and away in 2020. Travis Kelsey, third-round pick, and Darren Waller for the Raiders, sixth-round pick, right? And then George Kittle, who's a fifth-round pick, but got injured, obviously, so he, he wasn't up there. But those were, those were the bit, when they were on the field, those were the three best tight ends in the NFL this season, okay? Third, fifth, and sixth-round picks. The league has not figured out how these tight ends ultimately, or at least accurately figured out how these tight ends translate. So it scares the bejesus out of me when you tell me, okay, you want the Giants to use the 11th overall pick on a tight end. Now, I know he's not just a tight end. He's kind of an offensive weapon, but still. I mean, he's got to play the, the ultimately, he's going to be listed as a tight end. He's going to be asked to block occasionally as a tight end, which I don't really know if he can do or not. I'm, I haven't looked at him enough. Uh, but he's not the you know big bruising type guy, so I'm not sure if that's, that's probably not his strength. But I'm guesstimating on that. And you look at like guys like TJ Hawkinson. I mean, like he's a quality player. But would you really want to use the 11th overall pick and get TJ Hawkinson? I'm not sure if that's a great investment. And that's why if you tell me the Giants should take Kyle Pitts with the 11th overall pick in the draft, I'm going to be a little hesitant. I mean, unless he's so far and away the best tight end prospect we've seen in a long time, and he's just that big a freak. I remember Vernon Davis was a physical freak. And then when the NFL saw him and he ran and jumped and it was outrageous, right? He was like 260 pounds and ran a 4-4 or whatever it was. I'm pretty sure he ran in a 4-4 range. And he was a beast. There were, and everybody went goo gaga over him and like, oh, my God, this guy's a freak. He needs, he, and he was drafted high, and he had a really good career. Unless Kyle Pitts proves to be that kind of freak, physically and athletically, I have a hard time wanting to use that pick on him with a top 11 pick. That's a really high, valuable pick. Now, the Giants have a lot of need, a lot of needs, like real needs. I mean, we're talking edge rusher, huge. I mean, you could tell me pass rushing defensive lineman, 
even in the interior. Still a big need. Need way more of that. You saw. Got to win in that, that interior pass rush. Huge. They got Leonard Williams. Not too much otherwise, if you ask me. Edge rusher. Absolutely need. Premium position. Cornerback. Aside from James Bradbury, they're so thin. They're charmin thin. It's pathetic. You need a cornerback. Premium position. Wide receiver. Pretty much a premium position. So, offensive tackle they could still use, probably. I mean, if they got two young guys, they're lucky if one of them turns into a really high-end player. I'm talking about Andrew Thomas, and uh, I'm drawing a blank on uh, the UConn kid's name at the moment. But you know who I'm talking about. So, you know, if they took an offensive tackle, offensive lineman in general, you could start a guy inside, move him outside later on, premium position. So, where does the draft match up with the Giants' needs? And that's where we go to the great Mel Kuyper, because he can help us out with that. So with that being said, on to the next one. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured... It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. All right, when you want to talk about the draft, that means you want to talk to Mel Kuyper. There's no, there's no one else you want to go to first than the man, the myth, the legend, Mel Kuyper Jr., this is a big. This is an interesting year in the draft. Jordan, great to be with you. It is, uh, you know, a great situation for that. For, I think for all these teams to feel like, okay, some ways you can get bargains because there's not a lot of information on these players, not nearly the information on these players there once was. Or you can feel like you're going to be more conservative and maybe you protect some of your your investments and say, okay, instead of using this second or third round pick this year, I'll trade it and get a higher pick next year. So some teams can approach it a little more conservatively. Some teams can feel like, hey, we can get some real bargains because the teams really uh, overreact to the opposite out and drop them down the board too much, we can end up with a first or second round caliber player in a third or fourth round. So again, it's going to be interesting to see how this whole thing unfolds because we've never, ever, in my 44 years of covering a draft, ever had a draft like this where there's so much limited, so little information on most of the players. Yeah, and you know, that is, I mean, I was speaking to some coaches the other day and that was the one thing that they, they kind of pointed out to me. Like, in the later rounds, they're excited about the possibilities of getting guys and hitting big potentially on guys in the mid mid or late rounds because those guys didn't have a chance to shine throughout the draft process. No, and I think even uh, I was talking to Vinny Serrato today, former GM in the NFL, and he was saying, hey, I'd sign a ton of undrafted guys just because, you know, you're you're going to see so many teams of missing guys that aren't even drafted in a seven-round draft. used to be a 12-round draft. Before that, it was a 17-round draft. So in this particular draft year, you're going to have a lot of guys go undrafted that really had there been more of information or had they played this year, not opted out, or had they played better because they, it, was an un, it was an uneven season, interrupted by COVID, all the testing, everything players had to work through this year with Zoom calls and not meeting face-to-face. All those things maybe created a situation where a lot of players under 
achieved. So if you, you're going to be finding, I think, in the later rounds or as a priority undrafted free agents, a lot of ability and a lot of talent on players that in a normal year never would have been around as long as they were, and certainly in some cases would have never been undrafted free agents. Yeah, that, that, uh, that process in general with the undrafted free agents is already uh, organized chaos. I, I can't imagine what it's going to be like this year. Uh, but It will be a, a real interesting piece of the puzzle to see. Uh, and I'll be keeping more of an eye on that, really, to see. And number one, how many do they sign? They sign right. more than normal. And who these guys are, because there's going to be very little separating some of these undrafted guys from players that went in the fifth or sixth round. Yeah, which will be crazy. But let's start at the top, right? Okay, at least at least the top, the top half of the draft. We've got the Giants here. They're drafting on with the 11th pick, right? Uh, wide receiver is a position a lot of fans want. And look, they need it. They, they even admit it after the season. Playmaker, playmaker, playmaker. They need playmakers. Both sides of the ball, really. You got the three top wide receivers, right? And, and, and get, you could correct me if I'm wrong on this, but you have uh, Chase, Devontae Smith, and Waddle. As your top three at this point, correct? Correct. All right. Any of them, in your opinion, have a chance to really get to 11, or you think that this is the kind of draft where those three might all be gone? I would doubt it, Jordan. I think Waddle would be the one that you would think maybe because you know he had the ankle injury October 24th. He came back from it. He was still limping, obviously, not nearly close to 100%. So you may be Waddle, but I don't think so. Uh, I think he's too good. He's a tremendous punt returner as well. But if he were there, yeah, Kyle Pitts, who we put tight end next to his name, he's not. He's a receiving entity is what you would call him. Right. Yeah, wide receiver slash tight end. So if Kyle Pitts were around, he would be very intriguing to bring into the fold. Evan Ingram had a problem with drops this year, critical drops. Yeah. Too many of those critical drops. So Kyle Pitts gives you a matchup nightmare. Uh, if Engram can develop some consistency, boy, you really, you know, it doesn't have to be a wide receiver per se. It can't be a Kyle Pitts or a Jalen Waddle if Waddle happened to be there. So I think those will be the two guys that maybe hope that one of those two would be there. I think both of them will. Maybe both are gone. I think right now I'm structuring it in the first round that both will be possibly gone, although I had the Giants taking Pitts. A lot of people think he might be off the board by then. But maybe... I gave Pitts to the Giants. I'm thinking maybe he could be. Some think Waddle could be. So maybe they get fortunate and lucky that one of those two are still there. So Waddle, let's just pretend uh, hypothetically Waddle doesn't get injured this year. Are we are we talking about a much different situation? I mean, is he is he is his stock probably that much higher? Like, where, where and and how do you view it? Because Chase also he didn't play this year either. So huh, why why? Was was Waddle behind Chase entering the season for you? Was he about even? How how did that work out? Well, Waddle and Smith were pretty close, and and Smith ended up having a phenomenal year. Right, he worked himself ahead of him. Exactly. Waddle was doing great till October 24th, opening kickoff return of the game, and he gets the fractured ankle, and he's out the rest of the year, comes back for the national title game. Chase didn't play, but you know, in 2019, he averaged 21-plus a catch. He had 20 touchdowns. He had 84 receptions, which was, I think he had the previous year, he only had 23 catches. So he was kind of a one-year guy, improved dramatically. That was the year Joe Burrow was with Joe Brady and had Justin Jefferson and Clyde Edwards-Alaire and all that talent, best offensive line in college football, and everything clicked for LSU. They won a national title and Chase was a key player. Then he opts out. So, you know, Smith, you have a larger body of work. Waddle, outstanding, also a tremendous punt returner. Can't can't underestimate what he does there or, or undervalue that. That's tremendous what he does as a punt returner right. uh, and a kick returner. But certainly what the Giants need, by the way. They're, they're unbelievable. Giants could use that. Their returns have been terrible the last couple of years, so that actually does fit. Yeah, and he's one of the best 
I've seen in a long time. And that, so this is just a punt. You say, well, he's a punt returner. Well, he's an elite punt returner. So that's something that's important. Kick returns are, are minimized by him kicking the ball out of the end zone and all that stuff. But the bottom line is the punt return game is huge, and he can be phenomenal in that area. So I don't think you can drop him. I don't think he's dropped at all. I, I have him going Philadelphia in the mock. Um, I think, you know, the, you know he's going to go very high at the worst. I think he gets down to 11. Um, so, no, I think, you know, he'll be chased. I think he's going in that 2-3 spot. Same thing with Devontae Smith somewhere in that top five overall. Uh, I don't think I think certainly one of those receivers will go to Miami, uh, and the Jets are sitting there too, probably trading that pick to a team that wants to say Zach Wilson, the quarterback. So you know maybe the receiver maybe a receiver gets down to Philly at six, other than Waddle. And if that happens, mm-hmm. then maybe Waddle does drop to the Giants at eleven. So we'll have to see. But I, I think eleven is kind of the, the as far as they'll fall. And if anybody falls, it's going to be Waddle. It's not going to be Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase is right there with Devontae Smith. Some like Smith, some like Chase. But the bottom line is both those two receivers are going to go very high. All right. So then, what's the drop off level? You got the, you know, I think everyone, most people at least seem to think those are the the top three. So where where's the cutoff? What's what's the next level like? And and are they top half of the first round kind of guys, or do you view it as okay, you know, bottom half of the first round and a lot of guys, you know, second third because these drafts lately been just loaded with receivers. My feeling is, Jordan, those three are special. And after that, you have a drop-off. Then you get down to Kadarius Tony from Florida, uh, Terrace Marshall Jr. from LSU, uh, guys like that. So, and then there's there's really good depth at wide receiver. I mean, it's not like, you're going to find receivers. I mean, the second round has been a, a tremendous round for wide receivers over the last few years. Oh yeah. Look at last year. Look at that group last year, and you're going to have like guys like Rashad Bateman from Minnesota, Tutu uh, Atwell from Louisville, uh, Nico Collins, Michigan, Tylen Wallace. Oklahoma State. I mean, the list goes on and on. I think you're going to probably, Elijah Moore, I love from Old Miss, I think he's one of the best slot receivers you'll ever find. Uh, so he's going to go probably second round. So you're going to probably have maybe five to six receivers in the first, and I think another six or seven in the second. So, you know, and then you have some third, Josh Palmer, Old Miss, really good player. Rondale Moore, Purdue. Uh, Shai Smith, South Carolina. Kay Johnson, South Dakota State. Diami Brown, North Carolina. I'm Ron St. Brown from USC. Uh, I mean, it's so many receivers and some really underrated guys. I have 41 wide receivers with grades inside the first six rounds. Wow. 40. Wow. That's a big number. It's, yeah, it's just, number. Yeah, it seems like they're growing number. on trees nowadays. I mean, the last couple of years, I mean, wide receivers, just they're just all over the place. I mean, these guys are just big, talented, fast. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, if you look around the NFL right now and with the draft over the last few years is brought, and we had a, we had a, a, a group of years, a, a period of time there of years go by where you weren't finding those. They were really like, where's the number one, number two receivers? Where are these elite receivers? Yeah, you weren't, they weren't being developed in college, and now all of a sudden, well, you got guys like the second round group was phenomenal this year. Look what Justin Jefferson did. Elite rookie year, phenomenal rookie no, yeah, year. Unreal. And then the second rounders like Claypool and all these other guys were, were unbelievable as well. So, uh, you know, I think the receivers are now because the game in high school is similar to college, college similar to the NFL. These receivers now are transitioning, Jordan, so much quicker to the pro game than they used to. So uh, everything's changed. So route three, everything. All the things that the receivers have changed to the point where college is doing it and high school is doing it. So you know, it's not only like that to learn something new. Uh, they're coming into the NFL ready to roll. Yeah, and we're seeing the results. And the results are impressive. Uh, so you mentioned Pitts, right? Florida. Tight end by, I guess, name only. You, you did mention that, that he, you know, you almost view him as a wide receiver slash tight end. But 
these the tight end position is an interesting one when I look at it in the draft, right? Because when we it just why why is it so difficult for teams to evaluate these tight ends? Like you know, guys like Travis Kelsey and uh, even George Kittles of the world. I mean, all these guys, these top tight ends aren't always the ones that are drafted at the top of the draft. So. Have you changed the way you look at tight end? And how do do you think teams are looking at this position and view pits in that mix? Well, remember, it went through a period, Jordan, where tight ends weren't viewed as a priority. And then all of a sudden, they came back in vogue you know, when Jimmy Graham and other ones started to really shine. Right. So, again, it's kind of gone. It's been a kind of a cycle you go through where they're they're important and they're not as important. Now they're huge. And, uh, you know, it's not easy to find those guys. So, you know, every year, you, you know, you look at this year, Kyle Pitts, is he a true tight end? No, he's not. You know, Pat Fryer moves from Penn State, nice player, probably a second-round pick. Uh, Trey McKitty from Georgia. Georgia, formerly of Florida State, nice player, probably a good third or fourth round pick for somebody. Then you have the Tommy Tremble from Notre Dame, those types of tight ends who are great blockers, drop some balls here and there, but a phenomenal blocking tight end is what Tommy Tremble is. A guy I like is John Bates from Boise State, came to Mobile on Monday, had a great week in Mobile at senior bowl practice, had a heck of a, I thought, finished his career, and uh, and was a stellar athlete in high school. So there's a kid that you can maybe get in the fifth round. So Kenny Yaboa, transfer from Temple to Ole Miss, talented kid. Hunter Long, BC, nice player, Brevin Jordan, Miami. So there's a lot of guys this year at tight end that are going to have a chance to play in the NFL. You just have to stack them properly and hope you pick the right one. Yeah, and I guess it depends what exactly you're looking for out of your tight end. Exactly, they're, and they're, that is true. They're all different. Some are more receiving entities. Some are more inline blocking types. Uh, some you know, are good in one area, not so good in another. So, again, you have to say who's the most complete tight end. There really aren't any. They're, they're, that's the hard thing. The, the most complete, it's hard to find one guy who's perfect at everything now. Yeah. Uh, but all these guys have different attributes that make you think they're going to be uh, nice players in the NFL. Well, that's one thing Joe Judge preaches, though. You know, uh, Give me a skill set that I can work with. We, you know, don't tell me what a guy's weaknesses are. I want to know what his strengths are so then I can utilize right. that. So that, that kind exactly. of fits into that. All right. When we talked about, I mentioned before, they said, you know, Dave Gettleman said it, John Mara said it, playmakers. They need playmakers. But that doesn't just apply to offense for this team. <laughs> that also applies. That their edge position was awful this year. I mean, they really had nothing there. They need to improve their pass rush. What does it look like, and specifically, I guess, as a 3-4 outside linebackers? Because they're not, you know, they're not, I know they're playing hybrid, but they they like those big, long kind of guys. What's there in that 11 range, mid-first round, high-first round range in regards to edge rusher this year? There isn't any. Uh, because it, it 11, you just shot you you just you just stuck a dagger into the hearts of Giants fans yeah, all over the place. I mean, you know that. There's no Lawrence Taylors out there. Believe me, no, <laughs> no the Giants, no, no Carl Banks, Lawrence Taylor, nobody even close. And and uh, you know, there's nobody even worthy of being any higher than I think a mid first round pick. And the way I look at it, Jordan, if you're picking eleven like the Giants are, you better get a player in your top six, seven overall on your board. Right. You're not getting an eleven the best player. You're getting maybe the fifth, sixth, seventh best player. There's no now. Everything being equal, to uh, Jalen Phillips from UC, from Miami, formerly of UCLA, would have been that guy. He had a great year at Miami. He picked up right where Gregory Rousseau left off. Rousseau opts out uh-huh. after having a big 2019. He wears the same number 15 and has a ton of sacks and tackles for loss. He's probably the most dominant pass rusher. Not probably. He is the most dominant pass rusher in college football. But he had some concussion issues at UCLA. Uh, you know, he obviously, you know, moving on from UCLA to Miami, he had that one great year. But Jalen Phillips would be a guy I have right now going 
falling to the Raiders at 17. You know, could he go at 11? A little high for me, but he's got talent. And if it had not been for that, the issue I talked about, he probably is a top 10, top 15 pick. And what about Rousseau? What do you, what do you, what's your feeling on Rousseau? I wish he would have played this year. Uh, you know, he had back-to-back great years. You're looking at a top five, top ten pick, but he did. He had the year in 2019 with all those sacks. Some were coverage sacks. I thought he needed to work on some things from a technical standpoint. Uh, he didn't have that opportunity by not playing this year. So he's one of those guys that I think goes between, say, 15 and 25. I have him going right now 22 uh, to Tennessee. Yeah, yeah that, that you know that's that makes it tough for the Giants because that – that they're looking at, okay, we need playmakers, we need premium positions, right? Wide receiver kind of fits. You say, okay, there might not be a wide, one of the top three wide receivers there. There's not that edge rusher there for them. What other premium positions are, what are the premium positions that are going to be hot commodities at the top of this draft? Obviously, quarterback is always it, right? At the top of the list. Another pass rusher, Quiddy Pay from Michigan, would be worth mentioning. I think, right. he, you know, have had he had a dominant year, you might have been looking at a top ten pick. But obviously, the Big Ten interrupted season back and forth. You saw what happened in Michigan this year with that. Team. You think he could be a three so, four outside guy? He's more of a four three and yeah, can, can do both. So so he's not that, but he's going to go. Just he's as a pass rusher, right. he's going to go. Joe Tryon had he played at Washington this year at a year in two thousand and nineteen. He opted out. He's more of a late first round pick, and he's a three four outside linebacker. So I think Phillips is a three four outside linebacker. Rousseau's a four three end. So it depends what you're looking for there. And there's going to be some guys too, Jordan, that you can get you know down the line a little bit that are combo guys. Like Chris Rumpf the second, uh, I think out of Duke could be a really good third round pick for somebody. Uh, I think he's got a chance. Ellerson Smith out of Northern Iowa, more in round four, say. The uh, New York Dukies. They could be the New York Dukies if they get him. You know, they could, yeah, get, yeah. And how about Malcolm get, Jones out of Buffalo? Get. Could be a late, late round guy. So, you know, I, I think you're, I think you can maybe find, or Baltimore Ravens have found guys like Matthew Judon in the sixth round and Zadarius Smith and Pernell McVie all in that sixth round area. So sometimes you can catch lightning in a bottle late in the draft. Uh, Victor DiMuchese, our local kid here from Boys Latin High School in Baltimore, went to Duke, had a great career opposite Rump. So whether it's Chris Rump the second or it's uh, Demukeji from Duke, both those kids I think have a chance to be pretty good players. So if you can, you don't know, have to say, well, if we don't get one in the first or so, we're not going to get one. You can maybe get find some uh, some good fortune in the later rounds if some of those guys turn out to be as good as I think they can be. Yeah, you know, they keep dipping into the second, third round range with with third, fourth round range with edge rushers though, and you don't hit on one. You sit there, you're you're, you're you know, you got a bunch of. You know, okay, guys, and that's kind of where they're they're at. It's, well, a, it's a tough again, spot. Again, like with the, with the Ravens, they drafted Tyus Bowser, they drafted the other in the second round, haven't panned out. Now Bowser could improve, but he's still not what they thought. But some of the other guys were. You look at Justin Houston. Justin Houston came out of Georgia, was a third round pick. Yeah, you know, look what look what he's been able to do. So Great player in this league. You can you know find those guys, but like you say, uh, you know, Trey Hendrickson, in New Orleans. Uh, look what he did was able to do this year. He wasn't an early round draft choice. So you know, I look at that and say, well, you know, okay, there are opportunities at some points in time for teams to find those guys and if you do that there's some there's a handful of names i think this year it could be interesting as maybe like i say fourth or sixth round picks yeah well at the top of the draft i'm just just out of curiosity we know the giants aren't dipping in there but zach wilson uh justin fields what do you what's your what's your feel on their their floor in regards to okay how far you think that they can drop because right we're looking at okay get to 11 is it a lock? You think that all three of the top quarterbacks we're going to obviously Trevor Lawrence at one are gone by eleven? I think I think Zach Wilson is uh, is goes in that top 
four. I have him going to Atlanta, so I'm thinking he could go two. If a team wants to trade up with the Jets to get him, it would be Zach Wilson. Right. Fields, you I could see someone fall in love with him. You can yeah, see I think that. Fields would drop maybe down to, you know, to you know, maybe eight to Carolina. Also, uh, Mac Jones would be in that mix there from Alabama. Uh, I personally think Daniel Jones is a better quarterback than anybody in this draft except Trevor Lawrence. Really? That's my own opinion. But, yeah, I do. Uh, yeah, I do think yeah, we'll he's a better quarterback than anybody in this draft except for Trevor. Uh, Zach Wilson would be the closest to him uh, in terms of coming out with a grade. Justin Fields would be close enough. Uh, but I would say that uh, you could argue that Daniel Jones in this draft would be the second quarterback behind Trevor Lawrence. Knowing what we know now, knowing what I knew even coming out of Duke, he would have been the second highest rated quarterback. So you're still high on Daniel Jones. Well, you, from from what you've seen, go ahead, from what you've seen yeah. so far in the pros compared to what you had scouted him as, how how has he how how has he lived up to those expectations? Well, I don't know what else he could have done. Uh, yeah, I know if you're looking for a guy to be perfect without the offensive line, without Saquon Barkley, without receivers, without a tight end catching the ball on a consistent basis, uh, dropping balls that would, have, that would have sealed a game against Philadelphia and a critical drop in other games. I, I don't know how you can expect a court and then playing with the injury late. Uh, I don't know what else he could have done to, to, to not say this justifies where he was taken and, and justifies moving forward with him as your quarterback. Uh, now, if he doesn't continue to improve, I get that. There's some things I Obviously, he needs to work. Look what Josh Allen did every year. He improved dramatically right. from year one to year two and dramatically from year two to year three. It doesn't seem like we're in a in an era of football where we we care about improvement. We, we, don't, we don't expect improvement. We don't want him. We don't necessarily think there will be improvement. We, it's a lot of negative talk out there now. And I don't think people want to develop players anymore. They don't want to be patient with players anymore. I don't know if you're giving in to, to a lot of the chatter and the talk out there. I don't know what it is, but it's not realistic. It's just that the talk now is not realistic. Realistic, Jordan. It's just not. I mean, the way we evaluate players, we're kicking them to the curb after year one, year two, year three. Uh, like I said, Josh Allen was being hated on up until this year. You know, yeah. everybody didn't, but they didn't recognize the improvement from year one or year, year two. How can you not see that? But people didn't want to see it. And they just looked at that completion percent. Oh, he's not at 60%. He's yeah. terrible. Well, that's not the, that's, if things go beyond, I always call them analytics, analytics lie, analytics. <laughs> if you just go by the numbers, you're, you're being lazy, number one. Number two, you're being stupid. So either way, it's not good. So uh, lazy and stupid aren't good. So uh, analytics are a, a tool. They're a great tool. But to say the numbers always speak for themselves isn't, the, isn't, it just isn't the way it is. Numbers always, there's always reasons beyond the numbers, reasons behind the numbers. And in terms of Daniel Jones, I just think he deserves the benefit of the doubt. I don't know if there's any doubt, but if you have any doubt, he deserves the benefit of the doubt based on, you know, let's get him Saquon Barkley for the full year healthy. Let's get him the offensive line that's in sync and cohesive. Let's get him Evan Ingram catching balls on a regular basis. Let's get those receivers all out there at the same time together. And then let's see what Daniel Jones in year three does. We're going to see it. We're going to see it. So, uh, you know, if he doesn't improve, yeah, this is the year. I'm a consistent, I get that. But this is the year where I think he can answer all the skeptics and doubters. It's like, this is kind of, he'll try to do what Josh Allen did. Shut up all the skeptics and doubters once and for all. Yeah. Quietly, he did improve the ball security in year two a little bit. Which is which was a big thing was was the big knock his rookie year. So yeah, that's a ridiculous yeah. knock anyway because that's going to improve. That, that, that's all you can knock a kid on is ball security. That's that's I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah, that's all you can. I, I think because, I think know, more than anything, Mel, is the knock that I hear from people is that uh, that sort of pocket presence is sometimes an innate thing and sometimes he just doesn't have any panics in there. 
Well, I think he holds the ball at times, but that's what you do. And when you're getting, when you're trying to find a receiver that's not open, and you're going through your progressions. There's a fine line between everybody wants players to go through progressions. Well, what do you do when you go through progressions? You're holding the ball, right? Well, when you hold the ball, sometimes guys on well, offensive line it's leaky. There's going to be somebody that comes and strips the football from you or sacks you. So there's a fine line between holding the ball too long, but yet going through progressions and finding that guy late in the route. So to me, you can't have everything perfect when you don't have perfect things going on around you. Yeah. And there was nothing perfect about what was going on around them. You know, Wayne Gallman did a nice job. No question about that. I thought he ran and did a solid job running the football. But to He's me, not it, was the incons- it was the inconsistencies catching the football. Saquon's in a different league than everybody else. Didn't have Saquon. And uh, and Daniel had the injury late. But I, I think the improvement was shown in terms of ball. He made a concerted effort to make sure he wasn't fumbling the ball like he did. I remember last year, his rookie year, he, did, he took the snap from center. He dropped the ball. As soon as he went to pick the ball up, he was able to hit. So, I mean, that, that's a leaky offensive line. It didn't give much of a chance. So, yeah, I think, like I say, when the big criticism is he fumbles too much, that was the thing on Josh. Josh's too reckless. He fumbled. Yeah, and he saw him cut down on that dramatically and become a great quarterback in this league. So my thing is, Jordan, I get the criticism, but it's, it's unfair because they're rookies and second-year quarterbacks without great talent around them, or if there is great talent, it's hurt or it's not cohesive. So I think we got to allow players to work through their growing and we don't seem to like to do that. That's a, that seems a way that, that all the chatter I hear from everybody is we don't seem to be patient and care about letting players develop anymore. It's like, you know, you better be great right away. And if you're not, we're going to kick you to the curb and we're going to call you a bust and call you a guy we got to move away from. So, I mean, when you hear what's happened with Tua and Darnold, it's just, it gets a little ridiculous after a while. I mean, if they want to keep doing that, fine, but it's just completely outrageous talk that I don't tend to want to even get involved with. Yeah. So uh, you, you mentioned it. So let's finish on this. Ready? You said you would have had Daniel Jones, you know, his college evaluation over Fields and Wilson this year. Okay. So the quarterbacks from the last three years, uh, obviously you had, I believe you had him over Haskins at the time, right? Yes. So that was right there with Daniel Jones. Yeah. So there's uh, Trevor Lawrence, Kyler Murray, and Joe Burrow. You have those three guys evaluation wise. Those those are all going to be the last three number one picks, right? Over, over Daniel Jones. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You think Trevor is a generational talent. I, I compare Trevor to a John Elway, a Peyton Manning, uh, Andrew Luck. So yeah, he's been, that's, you know, uh... and Matthew Stafford was talking <laughs> about going number one coming out. Oh, Joe Burrow that's was clearly time. the guy, no question about that. And what Kyler Murray did and, and those guys, yeah, those guys would have been certainly ahead of where Daniel Jones was. Yeah. So those guys are a different tier. How about then, who, was, who are the other guys left? Tua? And Justin Herbert, right? So you have those three number one picks. Where would he kind of fall in your evaluation between Tua, Herbert, and Daniel Jones? Well, what I do is I go back to the grades I have, which never changed. They're, they're in 10, and they're out there for, you know, if you go back to those grades, all the, those guys had higher grade coming out than Daniel did. So, you know, okay. you know, Herbert and Tua and Burrow, all those guys had higher grade than Daniel Jones did. So that's where, again, uh, you, know, you go to this year, though, what we're talking about was Zach Wilson, and we're talking about Justin Fields. Daniel Jones's grade is going to be right in line. I haven't finalized grades yet, so I, I haven't done the final grade yet. On, on the, it's the, we're talking in we're, we're still early February. We're not in April, and I don't want to lock in and say it's definitive, but you know, right. I can tell you this, uh, that uh, you know Zach Wilson and, and Justin Fields and Trey Lance and these quarterbacks, will, their grade will not be higher than Daniel Jones. It may be close to, you know, you're right there with Daniel Jones, but it won't be higher. So to me, you know, Daniel Jones is, is, is 
right now deserving to be a guy that you can have confidence with moving forward. Now, will he be great? I don't know. We, uh, we don't know yet. We haven't seen that yet. But I think evidence suggests he can be a really good quarterback in this league, certainly uh, as good as Eli was. And Eli won two Super Bowls. So, well, okay, again, yeah, Giants uh, will sign for that right now, for God's sakes, definitely. <laughs> yeah, so we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But I would say right now, uh, yeah, I would say that Daniel Jones is great, is, is in line with everybody in this draft except for Trevor Lawrence. It's interesting. A, a completely different league. Interesting because Daniel Jones, everybody was up up in arms. He was drafted sixth. I know you weren't. I know you you were high on him. But but now now you know Zach Wilson's going to get drafted maybe second. You said probably top four. And he's going to have an, an, the same or lower grade than Daniel Jones. So it, that, that's interesting to me. That, that, that's very I mean, interesting I'll give, to me. me. I'll give you a little stat. I did this research, Jordan. I'll leave you with this. Okay. Uh, you have, I went back to 2000 draft when Tom Brady was picked in the sixth round, 199th pick. So I went back to just Brady's in the Super Bowl. Let's go back to Brady's year 2000. Because he's still playing. So I went back to the guy, actually, <laughs> the only one still playing. It's ridiculous, so by the way. To, let's go. Yeah, exactly. Let's go. So from 2000, I figure 2016 is fair, right? Because up from 2020 to 17, you're still developing. Developing, right? Yeah. Even though Mahomes and Watson aren't, but let's uh, <laughs> cut it off. Let's cut it off golf here because golf we knew was that maybe going to be traded, right? So I went from the 2000 to 2016. That's 17 drafts. There were 44 quarterbacks taken in the first round between 2000 and 2016. 44 quarterbacks taken in round one. Only four of those 44 are currently with the team that drafted them. That's right. Ben Roethlisberger, Aaron Rodgers, Matt Ryan, and Carson Wentz. Now, go a little further than that. 2009, when Matthew Stafford went number one overall, and Mark Sanchez went number five to the Jets. Remember that? Here, like we can't believe they're right? in the same that, draft class, by the way. Well, we're at it. Right. That, that was 2009. <laughs> 2009 draft up until the 2016 draft when golf went number one. So I'm connecting golf to Stafford. Not 2009 to 2016. That is uh, eight years, right? Uh-huh. Eight, eight drafts. In eight those drafts. eight drafts, between 2009 and 2016, 22 quarterbacks went in the first round. Only one is with the team that drafted them. Only one is with the team that drafted him, and that's Carson, Carson Wentz, Wentz, and he may be traded. Yeah. So, again, wow. that's one out of 22 between 2009 and 2016 is still with the team that drafted him. So when you talk about all these guys going in the first round, realize where they ultimately end up after four or five, six years. After, after one, and realize also that between 2017 and 2020, Mitchell Trubisky's going to be moving on. Josh Rosen definitely already way moved on from Arizona, and Haskins moved on. So we already had three since 2017. 18, 19, and 20. So this notion about these, they all, they're all going to get, what happens is, Jordan, all these quarterbacks get forced up. They always do. Go back to Jake Locker, Christian Ponder, E.J. Manuel. The list goes on and on. They all get forced up there because they're quarterbacks. When they're always, it's always going to be the way it is. We're always going to get quarterbacks getting pushed way up the board until we get to late April when most of them are in the top 10 to 15. Well, that's why it's a, Imperfect science for sure, Mel. But that's why we have you. That's why we have you. The best, the best in the business, Mel Kuyper. Appreciate well, it, man. What that does, Jordan, it puts it in perspective that, that this is not easy. And once you get no. your guy, it's a projection game. This is all projection, and it's not easy to project. Yes, and once you get your guy, and you know he's your guy, you are ahead of everybody else. I mean, Adam Schefter said, "With seventeen, eighteen teams could be changing quarterbacks." And look at how many teams are defined. We got a lot of great young quarterbacks in this league. There's about fifteen, sixteen teams are in really good shape right now, but half the league isn't. Half the league's still trying to figure out what they're going to do moving forward. So that's why, like I say, yeah, you got to have faith in your system. You got to have faith in your evaluators and your coaches to get these kids to have a chance to maximize their ability. You got to be patient. You got to develop. 
you got to allow players to develop and allow them to have the chance. And the thing too is, Jordan, they hear all this negativity. They hear all this shit. Oh yeah. They and, do. and you you got to be mentally stronger than ever to deal with what's going on with social media and everything like that. To deal with this instant gratification, instant success. That's needed. you got to play like you're a five eight year veteran as a rookie second year guy. You got to play like a pro bowler right away. You can't grow and improve and 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 develop. And that's what these kids have to deal with mentally. And I think it wears a lot of them out. A lot of them just probably just can't handle that. And the ones that can are the ones that survive this brutal first couple of years, uh, unless they're stars right away. Uh, remember, Patrick Mahomes was redshirted his first year. He didn't play in one game. Yeah. He didn't play his first year. Mm-hmm. So again, you know, there's there's different ways. And I go back to that one. I'll leave you on this. Kansas City tried to get Paxton Lynch the year before they drafted Patrick Mahomes. If they drafted Paxton Lynch like they wanted to, they tried to, they wouldn't have drafted Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> Where would Andy Reid and the Chiefs be right now? That would have happened. He wouldn't be as big a genius as he is right now. You know, there they, you go. <laughs> Nell, that's why we have you. So we'll, we'll, hopefully we will do this again. We have we have several more months of this, and that's why it's fun. Appreciate always it, Mel. Always great to talk to the New York fans and the Giants and you, Jordan. Take care. Buddy. All right, thanks, Mel. Have a good one. On to the next one. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. That was a great segment. Mel Kuyper. I mean, just chock full of information right there. And if you didn't learn anything, either A, you're the smartest man alive, or B, you weren't listening. I file, I'm going to file a lot of that stuff away because it's draft season. Season. S-Z-N. Draft season. You know what I'm talking about. It has begun. Free agency also is on the horizon. We're going to have a free agency episode coming up in the next few weeks because that actually is first before the draft. I mean, but the draft is always just people love the draft. Uh, Free agency is going to be crazy this year because there's going to be a lot, a lot of veterans cut. Well, let's see where the salary cap comes in, but it's going to go down because this was a crazy year. No fans in the stands. Uh, TV ratings were down. So the cap's going down. Teams are going to be up against it. A lot of teams are going to have to start cutting quality players. I mean, you're going to see a lot of, like, you know, 30-year-old guys, probably a little bit past their prime, but still really good players, the J.J. Watts of the world, maybe even Von Miller coming off injury, guys like that at that level, potentially hitting the the market as free agents. Uh, Julio Jones, guys like that, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, I'm not, not saying any of these guys are getting cut, but I wouldn't be surprised if any of those guys were cut. That's what this offseason is going to be like. So there's going to be a lot, a lot of value and a lot of movement. 
this offseason. So free agency will be fun. We'll get to that in a couple weeks. But first, I'm going to give you a little Jordan on the beat. That's the part of this podcast where I tell you what it's like to cover the Giants, to cover the NFL, to, to work for ESPN in general. And we talked a lot about tight ends and the lack of first-round success. And it, it brings me back to one of the guys I mentioned was actually Eric Ebron, which brings me back to that 2014 draft. By the way, that's the draft member the Giants took Odell Beckham Jr. But not a lot of people had Odell pegged before the draft, okay? In the mock drafts leading up, I mean, the most popular pick by far was Eric Ebron. Now, Ebron ended up going pretty high. Uh, he was drafted before the Giants even picked, I think. He was like eighth or ninth, something like that. I think the Giants picked 12th. Uh, so he was drafted ultimately before Aaron Donald and Odell Beckham Jr. and a bunch of really other, other really good players. That was a good draft in retrospect. But so Eric Ebron was the popular pick. Now, it was probably like a couple weeks before the draft. I talked to someone pretty high in the organization, and I was like, yeah, you know, Eric Ebron is a guy that everyone's pegging to your team. And they were like, F no, there's no chance that they were taking him that high with that pick. Uh, the drops, even at his pro day, he dropped a lot of passes at his pro day. Uh, he had dropped a lot of passes in college. And and look, that is actually translated to the NFL. He's dropped, he drops a lot of passes, Eric Ebron. <laughs> but they were like, no way. And And seriously, up until the day of the draft, even the day of the draft, people were pegging Eric Ebron to the Giants at number 12. And I even wrote a story, I think at one point, like the week of the draft, saying there's no chance the Giants are drafting him. That uh, They just had no intention. He's also a little bit of a, it was known as a little bit of a knucklehead, uh, a little bit out there, a little different kind of guy, like to talk and that kind of stuff as well. So, you know, he wasn't a clean, perfectly clean prospect. And it turns out, Drafting him at that point in the dra- at that point in the top ten, absolutely not. Would have been even the Giants drafted twelfth. Would have been the absolute wrong decision. So it just goes to show you, you know, that what what when sometimes these guys are just everyone's pegging him to a team. That doesn't mean they're going there. You know, people are just making sense of need and the the player evaluation and then just matching them up together. Now there's some people who. And especially as you get really close to the draft, then you get some insider information and you're matching guys up and it kind of makes sense and there's a purpose to it. But there's only a small portion of people who are able to do that. And for each team, there's a small portion of people who talk to people within each team and you have to kind of know which people, which those people are. I'm talking about national people and local people that have an idea. But and and granted, I didn't know that they were going to draft Odell Beckham. I just knew at the time that they weren't going to draft Eric Ebron. Like that, that was out. Another guy that was in that draft, I believe, was C.J. Mosley. He was drafted around that that range too. Uh, so anyway, I don't know why that just came to me. Very random, very random comment for me right there. But yeah, so that's the Jordan on the beat portion of this episode. I'll tell you a little bit, a little bit how sometimes you know you hear stuff as as the draft season goes along, and you know. Even though I was looking at Eric Ebron as a possibility throughout, you find out eventually that, hey, that isn't happening. The team doesn't have him graded anywhere near that portion, which is why, you know, you take all these things about the draft with the grain of salt. And, you know, the only real accurate information, if there even as, is any about a particular team out there, is, you know, in the days leading up to the draft. Because before that, no one is saying, nobody's telling you exactly who they're picking. You might have an idea who they kind of like, 
or who they don't like, but no, it, it's really hard to pinpoint exactly with informed information who a team is picking. So that's kind of how this draft process works. Draft season, season, S-Z-N, draft season, season. We're there. It's begun, ladies and gentlemen. We are in the midst of it. It is February, and it's going to last for what? Uh, two more months? Two and a half more months? What, the draft is like the end of April, beginning of May even. So uh, we got a while to go, so it'll be fun. That's why you're going to have to listen to this podcast. Follow me, uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, email. You could always reach out to me. We'll do a bunch of uh, Q&As. We'll do Giants After Dark. We'll do a couple Periscopes, if that's even what they still call it, on Twitter or Instagram Lives, whatever. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna be out there. We're going to be out there this offseason. We're going to be providing information and entertainment. And I hope you all enjoy it. That's the end of this episode of Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan, ESPN, ESPN.com, Giants reporter. See you next time. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.